This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Vera Meat. Vera Meat creates divinely weird and whimsical jewelry for those with unusual taste. Her pop-a-culture talismans are playful and stylish, like her talk-to-the-witch-hand palmistry ring, vampire-luck golden fang necklace, and her brand-new tarot collection, which allows you now to adorn yourself in meaningful, magical tarot card imagery. Vera Meat also uses healing, supportive stones in her pieces, like garnet, and black sapphire. She's also got apparel and accessories covered in moons, runes, and witchy babes. And Witchwave listeners can use code WITCHWAVE for 60% off orders on verameat.com through January 2022. You heard that right. You get 60. That's 60% off using offer code WITCHWAVE all one word, at verameat.com. That's V-E-R-A-M as in magic, E-A-T dot com. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by That Witch Life Podcast. The witches at That Witch Life Podcast are hosting That Witch Life Minicon, a one-day virtual conference on March 5th. Join from anywhere for workshops on herbalism, working with the gods, and suburban magic led by That Witch Life podcast hosts Kanani Soleil, Courtney Weber, and Hilary Whitmore, with a special masterclass on DNA ancestry magic with Stephanie Rose Bird. The conference will include rituals, raffles, and more, so go on and register at thatwitchlife.com and make sure you check out the hilarious That Witch Life podcast on all podcast platforms. Would you like even more Witch Wave? Then come join us on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witch Wave Plus episodes ad-free Witchwave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. Rewards also include magical merch and giveaways, early heads up about my workshops before they sell out, and all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven, where I lead monthly rituals and video chats, and where you can connect to a community of other wonderful witches. So head on over to patreon.com slash witchwave and sign up. It's a fabulous way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thanks so much. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave.
Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. I've got a very viridescent episode for you today. And so it got me thinking about the fact and the fiction of so-called green witches. Cartoons and costumes will still often depict witches as having green skin, and cheeky interviewers still ask me with alarming regularity, aren't witches green? The whole thing is a bit silly, but I thought I'd try and clear up where exactly this trope comes from, and the answer is, on the one hand, pretty simple— and on the other hand, potentially pretty complicated. So the simple answer is the 1939 MGM film that you know and probably love, yes, I'm talking about The Wizard of Oz, is the primary source for this imagery of the literally green witch. The Wicked Witch of the West, played by the brilliant Margaret Hamilton, was the first time in pop culture that a witch was depicted as having green skin. And as I write in my book, Waking the Witch, this was much to Hamilton's detriment as the green makeup they used was copper-based and so it was really hard to remove other than with alcohol, which can sometimes sting the skin and certainly doesn't smell great. And she could barely eat while she had the green makeup on, so she had to be fed through a straw. The things we do for art. Now, as to why the designers chose the color green for her, there are lots and lots of theories, most of which boil down to the filmmakers really wanting to show off the, at the time, brand new Technicolor technology, which is also why they changed Dorothy's slippers from silver, as they are in L. Frank Baum's book, to ruby, which popped much more on screen. The Wicked Witch also does not have green skin in Baum's book, but on film, this gives an impression of poison and evil and monstrosity, and it's a direct contrast to the ruby red of the slippers. And so this was most likely why they chose that specific color for her when looking for a super saturated hue. And as we know, this witch became the template for so much witch imagery that followed thereafter. By most accounts, there really wasn't an association between witches and green flesh before the Wicked Witch of the West cackled her way on film. However, and here's where things get potentially complicated— you will find lots of debates online about whether or not the Wicked Witch of the West in the MGM film is coded as being an anti-Semitic character. Anti-Jewish propaganda throughout history has depicted Jews as having green skin, and there are arguably lots of similarities in ugly stereotypes of Jews and witches, such as having exaggerated hooked noses, wearing pointy hats, and having a penchant for baby killing, or blood libel as it's known, and so on. 
Now, personally, I want to clarify that I don't think that correlation is causation, and I have not found any evidence in my research that the design of the Wicked Witch of the West for the film was intentionally incorporating anti-Semitic elements. So I'm not saying that I find her to be an anti-Semitic character, in other words, but it is worth knowing that this discussion is out there. Either way, it's pretty clear that the Wicked Witch's appearance is how the link between witches and green skin got popularized, and so that is the main takeaway here. Now, I bring this up because while real witches don't have green skin in real life, there are, in fact, green witches. These are witches whose primary focus is on plant magic. And many of you know that I myself apprenticed with a green witch, the amazing Robin Rose Bennett, who was a prior guest on the show. And I can honestly say that deepening my relationship with the plant world over the years has made me happier and healthier and has made my magic so much more potent. Connecting to the plants that surround us, where we live right now, as well as the plants of our ancestors, is such a giant gleaming key to unlocking our power, our compassion, and our potential. And so that is why I am so thrilled to have someone whom I consider to be one of the most inspiring green witches working today on the show. And that is Karen Rose, who is the founder of Sacred Vibes Apothecary here in Brooklyn, as well as the author of a magnificent new book on herbal magic. My conversation with her made me feel brighter and more vital, and I sincerely hope that it will have the same effect on you. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Nisha writes, Hi, Pam. October was always my favorite month. But this past October, I lost the love of my life, my twin flame, to addiction. I'd always feared I'd lose him to his addiction, but now it's actually happened. I believe everything is energy and energy cannot be destroyed, and I believe in reincarnation. I am hoping in another life we'll see each other again, and he'll be free from the chains of addiction. I have already experienced a few moments that appeared to have been signs from him. My question is, what are some ways I can use my craft to help heal a grieving heart? I try to be death positive and see it as a transformation rather than a permanent ending. But I still feel rather lost knowing the form I knew him in, which was rather handsome, I might add no longer exists. Now more than ever, I feel we are just bundles of ideas, thoughts, fears, dreams, and emotions that float from place to place. Is there any way I can use witchcraft to honor this idea or to honor death itself? 
Are there any goddesses that can help me on the subject of death and its journey? Thank you so much for all that you do, and I wish health and happiness to yourself and all the lovely witches the world over. Oh, Nisha, I am so deeply sorry for this loss, and my heart is aching right alongside yours. I know it's been a few months now since your love passed, but I can only imagine that the grief and the pain is still with you. I hope it's lessened a little bit, but I know that these things come in waves. And I agree with you that we are a bundle of ideas and thoughts and dreams and so on, as you so beautifully put it. But we are also sometimes blessed with the form of a body, however briefly here on earth. And I know that the absence of the physicality of this person who meant so much to you must feel staggering at times. So you asked about how witchcraft can help ease some of your pain. And in my experience, this path is an extremely supportive one when dealing with death. Witchcraft honors the light and the shadow. It honors all of the seasons and the phases of the moon, including the dark ones. And it also acknowledges that there is so much more to the world than just materiality and than just what we can see with the naked eye. So my first thought for you is, if you haven't already, to set up an altar for your love. This is a space in your home, perhaps, or outside, where you can go to say hello and remember and do ritual for and with him. You can adorn it with his photograph and any items or offerings that help you feel connected to him. In regard to deities, I'm not sure what your background is, but I often love the Greek goddess Hecate, or Hecate as she's sometimes called, for this sort of work. Hecate is a goddess of the crossroads, and of liminality, and magic. And she is known for being able to traverse the boundaries between worlds. So she might be someone who can bring you knowledge or guidance right now. But I'm also compelled to recommend a few plants that might support you in your grief. And this is, of course, with the caveat that I am not a medical doctor or a certified herbalist, so please do additional research around how to best incorporate them into your life. But three plants in particular are coming to mind right now for you. The first is violet. I love violet. Violet is known as a heart softener, and I know that you might be feeling tender and mushy already, but so often pain can harden us, and we respond by building walls to try and protect ourselves from future harm. But in fact, staying soft and letting your tears flow and allowing grief to move through you and with you is what I believe will help you in the long run. So violet can help you keep that softness and that tenderness and can help you heal and move forward and still stay open to love in all its forms, which is still there for you and always will be. Another plant I think is really supportive in grief is 
lavender because it is both sharp and soft. It's calming and protective and stronger than it often gets credit for. And I really want you feeling surrounded by soothing energy, but also strength. And the third plant that's coming to mind for you for when you're feeling those bouts of extremely acute emotional pain. You know, those moments when you're totally overwhelmed and seized by panic and anxiety and just can't even catch your breath, that kind of pain. And that is motherwort. Now, motherwort's Latin name is Leonoris cardiaca, or lionheart. And she is that fierce, loving mother who will step in to protect your heart and help you calm down and ground and get your bearings in those moments when you're just feeling pulled under by that surge of emotion. Now, one thing to know is if you work with motherwort, this is a very bitter tasting herb. So if you do ingest it, just be ready for that. But the bitterness helps bring you to the present. And here, right now, in the present moment, even in your pain, you are safe. You are okay. You are alive. And it bears repeating that there is love right in this moment, here, right now. The love of your partner, the love of Family, whether that's chosen family or biological family or spiritual family, the love of nature, the love of your friends and community, there is love right now. And I am sending you so much love and peace and comfort. And I hope that some of this magic will become a friend to you now and in the coming days. Now, on to my guest. Master herbalist Karen M. Rose has dedicated her life's work to empowering individuals to reconnect to their own ancestral traditions. Over the past 20 years, she has created several outlets to offer her teachings and healing modalities to women people of color, Black, and LGBTQX communities, including the opening of her three Brooklyn shops, Sacred Vibes Apothecary, Sacred Botanica, and Sacred Spice. Karen also has a brand new book coming out in February called The Art and Practice of Spiritual Herbalism, Transform, Heal, and Remember, with the power of plants and ancestral medicine. Karen has trained over 400 herbalists through her Spiritual Herbalism Apprenticeship Program, and she is also the founder of Sacred Vibes Annual NYC Spiritual Herbalism Conference, the Global Virtual Apprenticeship Program, and much, much more. In addition to herbal consultations, she also incorporates astrology and divination into spiritual guidance sessions. Karen has been featured in the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Black Enterprise, Refinery29, and Allure Magazine, to name but a few, and she has partnered with brands like BET and Squarespace. 
I have admired her and her work for such a long while, and her time is very in demand, so it was a true honor and a great joy to get to connect with her. Karen joined me from her home in Brooklyn via Zoom. Karen Rose, welcome to The Witch Wave. I'm so happy to be here. I am so overjoyed to have you here. I've been such an admirer of yours and a customer of yours at your beautiful apothecary. So this is a real treat for me. So I want to start by giving your words back to you. This comes Mm -hmm. from your beautiful book, The Art and Practice of Spiritual Herbalism. And in it, you write... The framework for spiritual herbalism is built on a relational vision of health. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's such a beautiful phrase. Can you unpack that a little bit for us in terms of your orientation toward wellness and vitality and the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Relational vision of health actually is words that I've had to develop because growing up, I didn't have words to express what I experienced. I came from a community that was so small. I was born in Guyana and raised in Essequibo, which is a small coast in Guyana, right off the Atlantic. And what I witnessed was what I now called a relational vision of health. But what that was, was everything was interrelated to keep you healthy. And whether it was plants and you or other community members and you, It was totally a support system that operated outside of our site or outside of words almost. When I immigrated, I immigrated to the U.S. when I was 14. I began to see the difference in what health looked like when you had all of the support versus when you're in it alone. I tell my apprentices all the time, it's like when an individual is sick, right? We look at that person with the individual diagnosis and it's often like, well, you have this thing happening rather than looking like what's the responsibility of the community as other people might be suffering with the same thing. Like what's our responsibility as a community in having accountability? And we're also responsible for the wellness of each individual in the community. So When I think of relational vision of health, that is what I'm thinking about, that sickness and illness and lack of wellness does not occur in a vacuum. It is very telling about what's happening communal-wide. So how did that kind of manifest back in Guyana versus here? Like when someone was struggling with some kind of disease or unwellness, what was the approach like over there that was so different from what you've experienced here? Well, there's a few things that come to mind. I think the most prominent thing that comes to mind is that my brother had sickle cell anemia. And when you have Mm. sickle cell anemia, which is a blood disease that causes like incredible pain. Mm -hmm. And so my brother as a baby had sickle cell anemia, but my recollection of it as a child, I'm four years younger than my brother was. And so my recollection of that was waking up in the morning and seeing like, You know, we would call the women in our village aunties and I would see like maybe two or three aunties in my house. Like one would be holding my brother, one would be getting us dressed. My mom at that time was the teacher at school. And, you know, these aunties, I'd wake up and be like, did they spend the night here or, you know, (laughs) but it was just like they were already in our house. 
getting our family ready so that my mom can actually go to work and teach and not have to be the only point of care for her son. They knew like this was naturally their role within the community to provide this level of support as my mom went out and taught all of their kids. So it felt like, oh, okay, like our family didn't have this major interruption because my brother was sick. Well, fast forward to a few years later when we arrived here as immigrants, it was a very different story. Like my brother still would get sick, but at that point, most of the care was centered around my mother. My mother at that time, being an immigrant, was working nonstop for, you know, for her children. And so my mom also got sick because it's just not something that you can keep up. I was 14 years old and I would like do my homework at the hospital at my brother's bed. I didn't have the words for it then, but I instantly realized what a lack of community can look like. So when you ask, like, how was it demonstrated? That was one way that I saw as a child that I didn't have words for, but I knew that the impact of having someone in your family working through illness impacts the whole family, not just the person that's sick without the proper supports. The other ways in which I saw this was in Guyana, we called sprains or strains in the digestive system. We would say that you have NARA, which is an Ayurvedic word for like a sprain or a strain in your digestive system. Ooh, what is that word exactly? Nara, it's called. And mm. I think it's related to Hara, which is the belly button in the traditional uh, Vedic definition. But, mm. you know, as a child, my grandma would be like, I told you not to be jumping out of those trees or I told you not to be climbing those trees. But then she would say, well, why don't you just walk over to Sundar and get your belly rubbed? I mean, I would be what, eight, nine, ten, and I would just walk over to Auntie Sundar's house, and she was a body worker, mm. which, you know, we didn't call her a body worker. We just knew she knew how to rub the belly. And so I would just walk over to her house, and she would just lay me out and just like rub my belly, and instantly I would feel better. And then mm. I, she would send me back to my grandmother's house. There was like no exchange of, she knew what I was coming for. She knew who I belonged to. She didn't have to ask me for like her fee. It was just a different kind of way of living, I want to say. Yeah. And it strikes me that this is both like a spiritual ecosystem you're talking about, but it's also an economic one. You know, your mom didn't have to miss work. I mean, it makes sense for us all to pitch in and take care of each other. And then the whole ecosystem can really thrive, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. Now, speaking of ecosystems, so much of the work that you do has to do with plants and mm -hmm. healing. What got you kind of started on that path as mm -hmm. a healer and as someone who works with plant magic? Well, it's the same thing. It's the same childhood that I was so, so lucky to have had. My grandmother, we wouldn't have called my grandmother a plant worker. We wouldn't have called my grandmother a plant healer. She was just like any other person who knew what they knew to keep their family well. And so within this community, now looking back, I was like, wow, they must have been all plant healers because they all knew the plants that they would grow and they would exchange plants all the time. So let's say, you know, you had fever grass and your neighbor didn't have fever grass. You would give your neighbor some fever grass and they would give you some cerise or some different herbs so that you can grow it in your yard. But all of these herbs were used in our wellness. And the thing about growing up in the Caribbean for me was that 
there was not as large of a separation between this is medicine versus this is food. This is just what you do. Yeah. So my grandmother would be cooking dinner. And at the same time, she would be making a pot of tea that goes with dinner. But that tea was like a digestive aid, bitter medicine that we needed for more bile to break our food down. But it wasn't viewed as this separation okay, now you're going to eat and now you're going to take your medicine, you know? Yeah, It was yeah. just intertwined. Mm-hmm. And was your relationship to plants always spiritual as well? Because when I think about your work and, and this beautiful book that you wrote, which we'll get into in a moment, I think of it as having this real aspect of divinity and spirit in addition to the physiological aspects. A hundred percent. So I never witnessed what we call herbalism or plant medicine outside spirituality. Mm. I never saw it done any other way growing up. You know, when there's preparation of a plant, there's also talking to spirit at the same time. It was seamless. It was kind of like, well, I need the energy of this plant. So I'm going to talk to this medicine and I'm going to ask its energy to come forth. And then I'm going to give this to my grandchild. And I'm going to pray with my grandchild as they're drinking this medicine. And I'm going to work and watch and protect until my grandchild is healed. You know, when I first learned Western herbalism, I learned Western herbalism in Arizona. And at that time, you know, I struggled because it was like, take this herb for this thing that was happening in the body. And I was like, yeah, but something's missing. I kept saying (laughs) You know, I can say, well, there's a huge part missing. It's like we tend to treat herbs sometimes like pharmaceuticals, like take this for your headache and not like, well, what's the bigger reason you're having that headache? (laughs) Yes, yes. Something that you've written about a lot and you actually just mentioned it on Instagram is our relationship to our voice and our lungs the herbs that can help us. And I'd love for you to kind of expand upon that, or I suppose introduce that concept to our listeners right now. Oh, absolutely. I am a full belief. And it's also because of these grandparents that I've had, right, that I've watched, that physical illness first happens in spirit. It happens in a spiritual level, it happens on an emotional level, and then our bodies are the representation of what is occurring there, right? And the more and more I do this work, I've been doing this work for over 25 years now, and the more I do this work, I'm in awe of how true that is, you know? And whether we find that we can remember the occurrence of the thing or whether it is so ancient whether it's ancestral, whether it's generational, whether it's past lifetimes, right? It's held in this body. And Mm. so different things, different moments of wounding bring back those illnesses to the forefront and it creates these huge opportunities that we can heal. So when I speak of voice, when I talk to people about voice, I realize that history's suppression of expression is so much, especially being a Black woman, like working with other Black women, I am like, we really have a history of not being able to speak and not being able to say the things you want. And after a lineage of that, that is housed in your body. And those things then come forth as physical illness, whether it's this lung disease or, you know, reoccurring respiratory problems or pneumonia or bronchitis every year. And so it's like, okay, what's the thing that I'm not addressing that needs to be addressed? 
And how can I free myself of that, you know, by learning how to express? And these plants are super, super intelligent and work beyond our human thinking, right? They reach back into generations beyond us to provide that healing. So these plants are also able to understand that healing is not just about this linear (laughs) space where we're in. But, you know, sometimes you'll be taking a plant and I know you have some knowledge of this, like you'll take a plant and some emotions start to come up that you're just like, I don't even know where this is coming from. Yes. But this needs to be addressed, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. So when someone comes to you, Karen, let's say a client, and let's say they're having some kind of bronchial issue, what kind of questions might you ask them to help address this spiritual aspect in addition to the physiological aspect? Well, I had to get really good at that because when you own an apothecary and you're working on the floor, you don't really want to get into this deep emotional discussion because there are other people in the stores. So I've learned how to like throw out a question (laughs) across the cash register to someone, you know? I have people who have come into the apothecary before and they'll have like this sore throat you know, while I'm weighing them out our sore throat tea, which is like marshmallow and echinacea and things to soothe their sore throat, I'll say at the same time, like, what do you want to say that you're not saying? And the look on their faces Uh. say everything because I've had people just like tear up and start crying. But you see, the thing is, I've been there myself. Like I've had my complete throat just shut down because of a situation that I really needed to say something and I couldn't even get my words together. And then the next day, wake up with the most painful strep throat. So, you know, I just bring it into their reality that their emotion is so connected to their health. And if it's just one statement, one question, I also find this a lot with womb health and women, you know, I'll say, or even breast health, I'll say, well, who are you nurturing more than you're nurturing yourself? And it just creates a pause and it creates an opportunity for like, a deeper reflection when folks leave with the medicine. Wow. Oh, I can only imagine the kind of depth that you can reach. And I know that you also do much more long-term and in-depth consultations too, but even just that quick question, I imagine, can just open up a whole holographic world inside somebody. <laughs> yes. I've had people who come back and they were like, you know, when you asked that, I just sat in my car outside and just started weeping because I realized like, you know, it was true. What you were asking really caused me to reflect. Wow. I love that. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Sanctuary. You don't have to fear Mercury retrograde. Sanctuary is here to help with psychic readings, daily horoscopes, tarot cards, and more for guidance every step of the way. Surviving Mercury Retrograde is all about understanding how the planet uniquely impacts you. In the Sanctuary app, their expert astrologers can help you explore your own astrology and learn how to cope with the alleged chaos with confidence. You can get an astrology reading today, and you can even go beyond astrology to connect with expert psychic and tarot readers to understand the messages the universe is sending. Are you ready to explore the stars? Talk with a psychic live right now with the Sanctuary app. Best of all, your first psychic, tarot, or astrology reading with Sanctuary is only $4.99 for five minutes. So go on ahead and download the Sanctuary app from the Apple or Google Play Store. 
I'm a big fan of therapy and have seen firsthand how much talking to a professional has helped me manage my own anxiety and stress and trauma so that I can live the fullest life I possibly can. I've also seen how it's changed the lives of so many people that I care about for the better as well. And that's why I am encouraging you to check out BetterHelp, which is an online counseling service that can provide you with your own licensed professional counselor to talk to via video or phone sessions. And it doesn't have to be that heavy of a topic. Maybe you just need a place to be heard and have an outside perspective on your everyday struggles with your job or your relationships. We all have so much that we're carrying with us these days between our personal issues and, need I say, global issues, and it's just a lot. And I'm telling you, talking it all through with someone who is trained and objective and not a friend or family member is such a gift because their job Their actual job is to listen to you and help you work through your feelings about it all. So please consider reaching out to the folks at BetterHelp, and they'll connect you with a counselor who you can start chatting with in under 24 hours. And they've been doing remote sessions since before it became the norm, so they've built a platform that's accessible, convenient, and secure. Also know that BetterHelp offers financial aid to those who qualify, and they make it really easy to switch counselors so you can find one that you truly click with. Best of all, Witchwave listeners get 10% off your first month of counseling by going to betterhelp.com slash witchwave. That's betterhelp.com slash witchwave. Please take care of your mental well-being. It is so necessary, and there is absolutely support out there for you. Do what over a million people have done already, and head on over to betterhelp.com witchwave, find a great counselor to talk to, and know that I am here rooting for you. Feel well, and take good care with BetterHelp. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Karen Rose. So Karen, we were talking about voice and you were speaking about how as a black woman, you come from a lineage of people who have had to suppress their voice. And that gets us into a wider conversation about ancestral healing and intergenerational trauma, ancestral medicine. And you write this beautiful, beautiful phrase in your book. You say, What we consider hereditary is, in fact, an inherited ancestral spiritual contract. And until we begin the work of ancestral healing, the agreement continues to exist inside our bodies. And you go on to say, a spiritual inheritance or hereditary physical response offers us an opportunity to heal beyond ourselves, healing lineages. Oh, I mean, first of all, that's just so powerful and we should unpack that for folks. But I was also really fascinated by the notion of, yes, we're working on healing our ancestral trauma, 
But the idea mm-hmm. that we could even heal our ancestors kind of retroactively really blows my mind. So I'd love to hear that kind of spoken about too. Yes. And, you know, I have to say that Indigenous communities always knew this. Mm. And that is why we revere our ancestors. That is why we honor our ancestors, because we realize that our ancestors continue to live through us. So when I'm standing, it's not me, it's all my grandparents standing. We have this saying within our community that we're our ancestors' promise, and we really are. We are the promises that our ancestors made. Being a mom now, I see clearly how that lineage is connected. Everything I do and all the improvements that I make in my mental and spiritual and physical bodies benefit my children, and it benefits their children Mm. going forward. So I believe that this was also what my ancestors gave me. My ancestors put in all of that work. A lot of us had ancestors who were enslaved people, but still through slavery, kept their minds going, kept their emotions going, kept their resilience going, kept their joy going. And the reason that they did that was so that they can pass on to their children these qualities. And so Everything that my ancestors worked for and achieved in their lifetime, and I'm speaking emotionally, spiritually also, is passed on through me. So along with the sorrow or the trauma that I've inherited, I've also inherited this deep resilience, this gift of connecting to joy, even in difficult situations. Those are all things that are inherited. So when I am able to work on myself, my connection with my ancestors is still present. So I'm able to heal the lineages backwards, you know, as I'm able to heal Lauren and her children Lauren's my daughter and her lineage is forward by the work that I'm doing. You know, one of the things that is so incredible is when I invite my ancestors into my home through my ancestor altar, my ancestors are present and they're cheering my healing on. Yes, (laughs) I've had ancestors. My great grandmother, Emma, had to give her children up. And the fact that I get to keep my children and live with my children and raise my children. Every time I think about that, it's a gift for Emma too, right? To get to see that I get to continue this family that she thought maybe she would never have, mm-hmm. right? Because of having to turn her children over. But I feel like every step that I take with my children, Emma is right behind me, like, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, gorgeous. What do you think your ancestors would make of your amazing shops and your (laughs) book? I mean, I would love to hear how all of these creative expressions of your lineage have culminated and, and how perhaps your ancestors have guided some of that. Well, that question alone brings tears to my eyes because... This is called the witch wave. So I'm going to get as witchy as possible. Oh, bring it on. My ancestors live in my places, live in all the spaces that I've created. Before I even open, I go to my ancestors and say, like, this is what I want to do. Can you do it with me? So I'm never doing it alone. I'm always doing it in tandem. As a matter of fact, you know, my maternal ancestors were entrepreneurs. They were women entrepreneurs. Back in the 1800s, they were Chinese. They had these incredible businesses, what we would call bars. In Guyana, we call them rum shops. And so they own these rum shops. And women at that time owning gambling hall and rum shops is 
completely unheard of. Yes. So I'm always talking to them. Annie is my great, great grandmother. You know, there's an altar in all my shops to Annie. And I'm always talking to Annie. I'm saying, Annie, this is difficult and I need your help. Show me the right way. Point me in the right direction. Let me know, you know, what needs to happen with this that we're working on. You did this at a time that it was completely unheard of. You were an immigrant from China and opened up like six businesses along the uh, coast. And yes. so you had to have it in you, Annie. So just show me, you know, <laughs> yes. what I need to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. So how did that culminate in opening your first shop? Was Sacred Vibes Apothecary the first one? Yes. So Sacred Vibes Apothecary in Ditmas Park was the first one. It culminated with the need for courage. Like you know, entrepreneurship is not for the faint hearted. And so I, I called on Annie every step of the way, you know, to guide and to support. I was a single mom and I had three children and I was like, this is a huge step. Like, where's my paycheck gonna come from? But you know, just faith. Just incredible faith. Oh my goodness. I didn't realize that you had three kids when you started the shop. That's amazing. Uh, my youngest was 18 months. Oh was my 18 months. goodness. <laughs> so what was it that was driving you to want to open a shop as opposed to being, you know, an herbal consultant at someone else's mm-hmm. business? I think it was the way in which I practiced herbalism, number one. I was teaching herbalism before. And I remember one day I was teaching about indigenous African tradition. And someone after the class came up to me and said, you know what, I came to learn about plants. I didn't come here to learn about spirit. And in that moment, I was like, uh, I think I don't need to be teaching here. (laughs) Yeah. You know, in my head, I was like, there's no plants without spirit. There's no spirit without plants. I don't know what you're talking about. So I was like, well, this is not the audience, right? For me. Yeah. So that helped me make my decision. And secondly, You know, I was shocked. I lived in Arizona when I was 18. I decided I didn't want to be in Brooklyn and I moved to the West Coast. Mm. And then after I had Lauren, my daughter, I wanted to be back home, you know, near my parents. I realized how difficult it was to raise children without your parents around. Oh, so you grew up in Brooklyn. Yes, I grew up in Brooklyn. So I came back to Brooklyn. And I was just so shocked that there wasn't, at that time, there was like Angelica in the city, the herb shop. I don't know if you know of Angelica, but there was yes. Angelica yes, and there was Aphrodisia. Like they oh, had herbs. I miss Aphrodisia. <laughs> but nothing in Brooklyn, absolutely yep. nothing. And I was just like, why is there not an herb shop in Brooklyn? Like we need access to medicine. So I had started seeing clients here in Brooklyn, and then I would have to send them everyone into Manhattan to get the herbs they needed. It really came out of a need. We need an herb shop closer. We need folks to be explaining these medicines to people when they go in. They know how much to get, how long. And so, you know what they say, when you see something that's so necessary, you have to create it. (laughs) Absolutely. And your shop is such a jewel. I remember the first time I walked in there and it really feels like the quintessential, magical, witchy, herbal shop of our dreams. You have all the beautiful jars behind you and candles and all of it. It's such a magical space. And you recently opened up a new shop. And I'd love for you to share how that came into fruition as well. 
Sure. We actually opened two shops, but so I will tell you <gasps> you about did. the botanic. Yes. yes so, tell me everything, Karen. Oh, so, you know, <laughs> over the years, I'm happy to say that Sacred has been in the community now. This is our 13th year. Our apothecary ah. has been in existence. And that's way more beyond what we could have ever imagined. But the reason that we're in existence is because of people like you. And so I can't thank my customers enough for the level of importance they place on our business. You know, since we've been there, people have brought in their daughter-in-laws, their grandbabies, you know, their new wife, their new partner, the extension of it. They keep introducing their families to us because they realize that they've been helped. And so they keep bringing other people in. And because of that is why we're still around. You know, in the shop, like for my customers on my weekends and on my times off that I had times off was spiritual work. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of people would say, Karen, could you prepare this bath for me? Karen, could you get me a candle? Could you bless me a candle? So much of my time off was spent doing this work that the next logical step for us was to expand and get a place where people could really concentrate on the spiritual healing aspect of the work. And so in 2020, right before the pandemic, as a matter Ah, of fact, (laughs) I remember seeing it pop up on Instagram and I was like, whoa, timing is something else. I would have like, you know, March 14th was our grand opening and March 16th, the entire city shut down, right? It was the day before. Oh, wow. And so it's our pandemic baby. So we're two years old now. We're getting to two years old in March. And Karen, this is the Botanica you're talking about? This is our Botanica. So Mm -hmm. our Botanica is sacred Botanica. And it's about three blocks away from the apothecary on Coney Island Avenue. And it's like, you know... We're looking at our baby and going, you were born in the pandemic. (laughs) But, you know, again, more than ever, our community was like, we need spiritual work. What is happening? We're isolated. We're depressed. We're sad. We're alone. We need to like really buckle down and do the spiritual work that we're here to do. And so they've also stepped forward and be like, yeah, you know, been supportive of our space. And so we're going to be two in March. Oh, well, happy birthday. Congratulations. (laughs) That is so, so wonderful. And you also are still doing the apprenticeships, correct? Yes, 100%. So my apprenticeship program is also about 12 years old. And it's brilliant because, you know, for such a long time, being an apprentice myself, I longed for a teacher who looked like me. I longed for learning herbalism by a Black Indigenous person. And that just was not accessible when I was learning herbalism. And I knew that that is what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to educate people who looked like me. And I knew that it was so important to embrace folks who like had this lineage, this rich, rich lineage of root workers and hoodoo uh, workers and voodooists you know, grandparents who were already practicing spiritual work, but they were feeling so disconnected from their medicine and so disconnected from their lineage that I was like, I need to start this program of spiritual herbalism. And so it's 12 years old now that we're doing the apprenticeship program and it keeps me super busy. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. That's so, so wonderful. (laughs) So I'm going to ask you, I'm just going to be vulnerable and ask an awkward question. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's something that I'm asking on behalf of white listeners. Mm -hmm. So I studied herbalism and my teacher, Robin Rose Bennett, 
is a white woman mm-hmm. and I was raised Jewish. I identify as a pagan Jew and Robin happens to be Jewish. And I didn't even realize how much that connection would be really meaningful for me. But it really mm-hmm. felt so mm-hmm. beautiful learning from someone, not that she's overt about Judaism in the apprenticeship and she teaches people from all different lineages, but it really did mean something to me to be learning from somebody who, you know, comes from a similar ancestral line. That said, Mm -hmm. I also understand that there is a beauty in Mm cross-pollination. So I wonder Mm -hmm. if a white apprentice felt called to study with you, is that something that you feel you have teachings for? Or are you in a space right now that you're like, I know my mission is to educate Black people, Black women, and that's my truth. I'd love Mm -hmm. to hear you talk about that if you don't mind. Sure. So our program is open to everyone. So I end up educating a lot of white women. Mm. The white women that I choose for the program are often people who are involved in justice work, are often people who are educators themselves, right? Are often people who are social workers, therapists, educators, you know, folks who have contact and are raising or teaching all of our children. Um, And so it's like super important for these folks to also come in and sit and experience and talk. It's been a beautiful journey to like be in a classroom that's open to educating everyone. Because ancestor work is not only for people that are Black and POC. Ancestor work is for everyone. And as a matter of fact, I tell my white students, my goodness, you have tremendous ancestral work to do. Oh, hell yeah, we do. It's like getting a start or opening up just the same things that I'm opening up for my other students also for them to explore further what work needs to be done and how to go about doing it, but also to witness the tremendous growth that we've had to do as Black people and POC in this country. It's also an opportunity for folks to sit in group and and be a witness to that. It's really powerful. Absolutely. And hold space for that instead of Mm -hmm. it being centered in the conversation, I'd imagine. Correct. Absolutely. So we're clear about what the apprenticeship program centers, but it's open to everyone. So it's taught by a Black teacher. So it definitely centers the learning and the history and the wisdom of Black Indigenous folks, but it's completely open to everyone. And we are all touched by the history and the wisdom of Black Indigenous folks. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. On that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. Love trying new teas. You know I do. And that's why I am strongly encouraging you to treat yourself to a cup or several from Plum Deluxe. From bold caffeinated blends to relaxing herbal teas, incredible dessert teas, or fun floral flavors, there's a delicious tea just waiting for you. I was seriously bowled over when I saw how extensive and inventive Plum Deluxe's offerings are, and I have fallen in love with several of their blends, especially their Reading Nook blend. I mean, come on. Ugh, with black tea, rose, lavender, and chamomile, it is so soothing and perfect for when you want to sip something delicious while curled up with a good book, and in my case, a couple of kitties too. And the Reading Nook blend comes in either caffeinated or decaffeinated versions if you needed something a little more mellow. 
Every Plum Deluxe blend is made fresh in-house using only the highest quality ingredients and carefully crafted recipes. They also have a popular Tea of the Month Club, which gets you free shipping and other amazing perks. Plum Deluxe is a small business based in Oregon, and they've also built up a warm community of thousands of tea enthusiasts from all over. You are going to be so charmed by these tea blends and the people who make them. So go and visit plumdeluxe.com slash witchwave and use the VIP code witchwave to save 12% on your first order today. And remember that tea also makes a great gift. Again, that's plumdeluxe.com slash witchwave. That's plum like the fruit, deluxe, D-E-L-U-X-E dot com slash witchwave. The Path 365, Daily Direction for Ladies and Mothers, Witches and Others, is a book that allows you to open your mind, body, and spirit to a path that is uniquely yours. As a gateway spirituality guide, it weaves coping mechanisms identified in neuroscience and mental health that address mind, body, and spirit, and incorporates them into an easy-to-read daily guide. Author Susie Newell received her doctorate from the University of Cincinnati with a focus on coping mechanisms. This book gently encourages people to open their mind to a spiritual path that feels right for them. Like a daily oracle read for the soul, The Path 365 takes you through a journey of positive self-discovery and encourages you to incorporate your practice into every aspect of your being. Whether you have a solid spiritual practice already or are exploring your options, The Path 365 is a unique guide to creating a path of your own. Visit them at thepath365.com for ordering options. And be sure to use code WHICHWAVE for free shipping. And you can give The Path 365 a follow on your favorite social media platform. We are all in this thing together. Create a path that works for you. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Karen Rose. So Karen, you have this absolutely marvelous new book that is coming out very, very soon called The Art and Practice of Spiritual Herbalism. So first of all, congratulations on this book. It's fantastic. I got a sneak peek. And I would love to hear about why a book was the next project for you to sink your teeth and your heart into. Absolutely. I think I'm much more of a teacher than a writer. So, you know, as I was teaching and teaching, I realized that this information was so important for people to reach people everywhere, people who couldn't take classes with me, but just to be able for them to have it in their hands and like go over the information again, because I think it's a book that you're going to have to like go back to sections of it and just like sit with it in your healing you know, over time. And so I wanted to provide that, that an opportunity for people to like, not only take the information in, but also as a reference over time to go back and sit and read that again, as they're going through their healing. So that's what I thought, you know, it's worth writing this down for folks. I'm super happy 
to have this book. I'm incredibly happy to have it out there because it's so necessary in communities to see representation, number one. I know when I was going to school as an herbalist, I would have loved to have a book by a Black herbalist to look at pictures, see myself. Even writing from my voice would have been tremendously important. It was super lonely and isolating to go through um, herbal education in this country. And so I wanted to provide that for herbal students everywhere, an opportunity to be like, yeah, absolutely. This is my path. I can see it. She's doing it. You know. Yes, yes. And you've incorporated some indigenous magic into it. You're referring to certain mm-hmm. deities and myths and stories um, yes. that are so, so moving and, and illuminating too, in addition to the very pragmatic offerings that you're giving mm-hmm. people. So... What was it like to try to organize all this information? I mean, it's, I it's really hard to know how to format a book. So what was your intention with your mm-hmm. kind of offering, if you will? Yes, it is. And there's so much more to offer, right? Yes. <laughs> I know this book is going to demand a follow-up. And Good. Uh, you know, I'm already like working on that. But I think one of the things that was so important is that I wanted to intermarry the education about plants with the education of Black Indigenous technologies that existed for such a long time. So you see a lot of the incorporation of the Orishas. Well, the Orishas um, hold the power to nature. Like they hold the power behind lightning. They hold the power behind thunder. They hold the power behind the ocean and the water, which is all reflected in our bodies, right? Mm. And so when teaching plant medicine or teaching body systems, I refer to this method of seeing the body in this really spiritual light that not only are we our bodies, but inside our bodies exist these elemental forces, these gods of change, these goddesses so real and incorporated into our being. I wanted to bring that across. And then so when we're working with these plants to affect change, we're also pulling ourselves closer to these forces that can change our life. Mm, Splendid. I'd love to talk about how you kind of broke down the different sections of the book. Mm -hmm. You decided to approach it from different systems, which I think is so smart. So one section is the circulatory system, and the next is respiratory, digestive, liver, sexual, skin, nervous system, and immune health. And in each section, you not only talk about certain plants that you're highlighting and recipes, but you also have rituals and planetary associations. And it's really masterfully done how you've woven this immense body of knowledge together. So how did you go about figuring out which Orisha or which plant, say, or which planet even would all go in which section? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'm an astrologer and planets are like my other language. You know, they exist in me anyway. What I was already doing for clients is like looking at their planetary placements, looking at the transits of the planet and knowing what body system those transits affect. And then also pulling in the Orishas, who is part of my worship system, to explain further what could possibly be happening on a spiritual level. So it was work that I had been doing for years. So this body of knowledge is 
all of my work, like I've given my work to people in this book, right? Yes. Of development. And so it takes a while to sit with the Orishas or to sit with the planet to determine like what body system it reflects and how these are in common, the nuances behind you know, when there's a breakdown of communication with the spiritual aspect, what does a breakdown of communication look like in the body? What does a Neptune transit look like in the body and how it's felt physically? This is all research, years of documentation. And I chose to break the book down into body systems. And I tell my students all the time, the body is whole. The body is whole, but for teaching purposes, it's more approachable for me to break it down into systems. But I keep referring back to the place that if one system is broken, the other is overtaxed. And so we have to look at health and wellness in a whole way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to get a little bit more granular and I feel called to ask you In this moment, you know, we are coming up on year two, you know, the second year anniversary, if you will, of this fucking pandemic. Pardon my French. Mm -hmm. Are there certain plants that you are feeling that this is maybe their moment, whether spiritually (laughs) or physiologically or both, that you feel called to make sure we know more about them? Or is there not just universal ones and everybody's different? I wonder if there's a plant that wants to enter the chat, if you will. Oh, they always want to enter the chat. (laughs) So I'm going to start with the category of plants, right? So one of the things that I'm constantly saying to people is pick an adaptogen and buckle down. Like there are (laughs) many of them out there, but adaptogens are plants that affect the immune system and they affect our nervous system. They help manage your adrenals, which are all exhausted from this constant trauma that we're experiencing. What we're experiencing is communal trauma. And so our adrenals that sits on top of our kidneys work every time your body is in fight or flight status, your adrenals kick in. But we've been in fight or flight status for two years in some for some people. So some people have said to me, Karen, I've done nothing for two years, but I've never been this exhausted. And I'm like, yeah, you may not be doing anything in terms of like getting out your house or like being as active as you were before, but your mental is so overwork, you're overworked, you're over-traumatized, you're confused. All of these things acts as an impetus for adrenaline to be released into the system. And so after a while, your adrenals get really exhausted. And that's the beauty of adaptogens. They really work to help to prevent adrenal burnout. And adrenal burnout is when we have overactivated our adrenal glands, right? And so this group of plants that are adaptogen, they're wide. There are many adaptogens that you can work with. Some of my favorite are mentioned in the book. You know, I talk about reishi. Mm. Um, That's one of my favorite adaptogens because I also like to have people choose an adaptogen that exists in their environment locally. And in New York, we grow lots of reishi mushrooms. You can access reishi mushrooms by just foraging in the wild if you know how to identify them. You have to make sure that you make a positive identification before you can use it. But reishi mushroom, I like astragalus. I like maca. Think about what it takes to keep the body well for the long game because we're in it versus this approach to like, oh my gosh, I need something right now because I'm sick. 
what I've been advising people mostly on is like, what keeps you well over time? Tulsi is that, you know, holy basil or Tulsi every day. Return back to what I was talking about with our grandparents, which was like incorporated with your day of feeding yourself and of nourishing yourself versus like something's wrong with me and I need medicine. Yes, absolutely. So I am coming back to the beginning, which is your beautiful name, Karen Rose. And I've been feeling really attracted to rose medicine lately in general for a lot of different reasons. And you write beautifully about how the rose is really great for heart health and social justice work. And so I would love to hear you talk about what it means to be a living rose because you come from a line of roses and perhaps how the rose might have been a healing or guiding plant for you and and might be for us all now. Mm, Yeah. You know, first I want to say thank you. (laughs) You know, when I was growing up, I was like, I can't stand having two first names. (laughs) (laughs) Because my teachers would always say to me, they'd call me Rose all the time. And I'm like, my name is Karen. And then they'd say, well, you have two first names. And I'm like, oh, you know, I wish I had a last name that sounded more like a last name. So I did have to grow in to Rose, you know, mm-hmm. and I absolutely love my name. And when I started studying herbalism, everyone was like, oh, so you changed your name like Susan Weed did or, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like Rosemary Glatz. And I'm like, no, my name is actually Rose. You know, <laughs> I say to people like I grew into my name. I love using rose medicine. I love to collect rose recipes because I feel so connected to it. We are at such a time now on this planet that we really need rose medicine. And number one, rose is an antiviral, by the way. Mm -hmm. There's so much that we need to like soften our heart, open our heart, protect our heart. There's a bigger space every time I look for heart-centered work, like to go deeper than we've gone before, to understand, to have compassion, to have deep self-love for ourselves, to have self-compassion for ourselves so that we can extend that to other people is like one of the reasons like Rose is a shining star now, (laughs) you know, in our medicine. Exactly. And you are such a shining star, Karen Rose. (laughs) So I want to end with one final question. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the word witch. This is the Mm. witch wave, as we've said. And you actually wrote something really beautiful for a book that I co-edited. This is the Witchcraft volume from Tashin that just came out. And in that book, you write, the practice of witchcraft is self-determination and autonomy, which to me means freedom, freedom from a decolonized mind and an oppressive reality freedom to choose to envision my life and my community's future outcomes beyond this current reality and invoking nature and spirit to get there. I mean, (laughs) what a gorgeous kind of definition of witchcraft. And I suppose I just wanted to end by asking you, what is your current relationship to the word witch? Is it something Mm -hmm. that you're comfortable calling yourself or does it not quite feel right? Oh, it is. Also, first I want to say, oh my gosh, I didn't know that you worked on that. I'm so happy to hear oh, that. Oh, yes, that sounds, yes. Yeah, congratulations to you <laughs> oh, in getting you. it out. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. 
And I'm happy to be in there. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm so excited to see it when I get my hands on it. Yes. So to answer that question is, I am not as big witch as I want to be yet. Like I'm still <laughs> like, so I am fully like, yes, call me witch. Absolutely. I fully own the word. And I feel like there's so much more to my growth that I have like so much more space to grow and take up residence. Like my grandfather was such a powerful healer and such a powerful man when it came to spiritual work. And so I'm like, I have big shoes to fill and so much of my personal freedom is tied up in being a witch that I'm just like, yes, absolutely. Bring it on. I'm ready to step forward. Mm-hmm. Hell yes. Oh, that makes me really <laughs> happy, Karen. Well, listen, I consider you to be an absolute master of a witch. I think you are just such an incredibly powerful, healing, and that word again, shining person in community. I'm just so grateful to you. I'm grateful to all the work that you're doing. And I just want to thank you so much for putting yourself out there, for doing the work of your ancestors, and for being such a beacon for so many of us. Thank you so much, Karen, for being on the Witch Wave. Pam, I've enjoyed every moment. I can't believe that's been an hour. So it's been incredible (laughs) to sit here and talk to you. Thank you so much. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Karen Rose for sharing her ancestral wisdom and green witchery with me. You can find out more about Karen's work at sacredvibeshealing.com or on Instagram at Empress Karen M. Rose. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on The Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is a phantasmophile production written and produced by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was recorded and edited by Josh Wilcox and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Laura Antal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now by Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and give us lots of sparkly stars. It really, truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchwavePod, and you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. Please consider ordering my book, Witchcraft, or picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. And if you want more Witchwave or you would just like to support the show, please join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.